Good morning. Good morning. Welcome into Redwood. Glad you're here. If you're uh, visiting, my name is Kurt. Glad that you're joining, uh, joining us on this Sunday morning as we continue on this uh, meat and potatoes series. And uh, uh, you've only got one more week of being uh, teased with this little video and picture, so uh, hopefully you uh, aren't uh, getting too hungry with that. I noticed nobody gets up and leaves, so we should be okay. You know, there are donuts out there, I guess, if you do need them. But glad that you're here with us. Uh, la- last week, we uh, went into part two of this series where we talked about uh, how the Bible really invites us into studying its depths. And we talked about the, uh, how it, it works with your mind. And if you remember last week, I talked about how one of the things that has always been this, if you want to call it a quirk or a trait or whatever about me, is that I love trivia. And I love learning things and knowing things, and that I've uh, just really packed away and memorized all of this really useful information uh, that I can pull out at a moment's notice, like a, you know, a good movie quote that I can pull out at almost any context in life and use it, and just watch the other person stare at me blankly going, where did that come from? You know, I'm like, kind of, then I'm disappointed they didn't get the reference. But, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at. But one of the things for me that I've always loved, and I told you this last week, is, is sports. And, and I know sports, uh, for some people they love them, some people could, could care less, but for me I love sports, and in particular I love numbers and facts and history around sports. And I told you that last week, and I thought, you know, I'm going give to you, give you a few examples this, this week of just a few numbers in sports and what they mean to me, so you kind of get an idea of, of where I'm going with this. first number I want to show you is this number here, number 11, Okay. Now, number 11 is significant for me with sports because this is the number of World Series championships my St. Louis Cardinals have won, okay? Second all-time to the New York Yankees, and I'll admit it's a huge gap between the Yankees and the Cardinals, but that, that number is significant for me. The second number that's significant for me is number seven. Maybe you guys can guess why, similar, similar line here. Seven's the number of national championships my alma mater, my Oklahoma Sooners have won, okay? But also... That's the same number of Heisman trophies my Oklahoma Sooners have won. And seven significant, too, for one other reason. It was the uniform number of Mickey Mantle. Now, Mickey Mantle uh, is from Commerce, Oklahoma, my wife's hometown, right outside of my hometown. Uh, My dad grew up in that town. My grandpa grew up with Mickey Mantle in Commerce, Oklahoma. And so I've always looked at him as one of the greatest baseball players of all time, one of the biggest what-ifs of all time. Man, what if he played in our day and time when the, the technology and the medical uh, help was there to help his, his worn-out knees, maybe he could have been the greatest ever. But that number's been significant for me. Uh, with, with statistics, the number 70 sticks out for me. Uh, 1998, this was how many home runs Mark McGuire hit. I know it's not the record anymore, it was the record then. But for me, that's significant because 1998 was the summer I turned uh, 16 years old. And so I hit my own truck for the first time, my own radio. And my dad always told me, when you have your own car, you can control the radio. So I finally did. And I didn't listen to music. I listened to the Cardinals every single night on the radio, listening to the home run chase. I don't care about the steroids. Let them juice up and hit the ball as far as they can. I was, in, I was loving it. I was, I was living that up. Or maybe like jersey numbers, number 23. If, if you grew up like me in the 90s, number 23 was huge because Michael Jordan. Greatest basketball player who's ever lived. Uh, One other number that's always significant for me is the number zero. Anybody know what this one represents? This is the number of national championships the Oregon Ducks have won. (laughs) Now, if you want to leave, go ahead. It's not even 10 o'clock yet, so pretty good if I can run people off before 10 a.m., so... 
What I appreciate about Oregon, though, is they wear it on their helmet. They show you how many they've won with that, that zero there on their helmet. So. Uh, <clears throat> hey, you know what? <laughs> no, I, I drive the green Jeep with our circular headlight that's parked right outside the office. So, um, <laughs> uh, You know, it's funny, I can tease you, but uh, my Sooners haven't won in 20 years now. And to make this sound like to make, kind of start dating myself, that was my senior year of high school, so I'm starting to have really big issue with this, that it's now been longer since their last one than it was their, their one before that, but uh, whatever, you, you can sling the insults back at me, I can take some of them, but <laughs> you know, whether it's sports, or I, I could rattle off all the presidents that we've had, all 44 presidents, because one, you know, served twice, I could even tell you the years in which they served. I could tell you our states and their capitals. I could can rattle off all of, uh, you know, again, old movie TV, uh, movie quotes, TV quotes, et cetera, et cetera. And I know some of you are looking at me like, man, you are just a wealth of really valuable information. <laughs> you know, you use your time well, Kurt. Now, you're not wrong. But I want to challenge you with something here. I'm not the only one who knows a lot of really in the grand scheme of things, useless information. Because I bet I could play some songs in here this morning, and you'd know the words to them. And they're not, Jesus loves me, this I know, <laughs> for the Bible tells me so. In fact, let's just do something here. Let's do a little audience participation. I'm going to play a clip of a song. I'm guessing you know it, or at least you know what it's, the clip is building up to. So if you know it, you've got to sing it out, and you've got you to let me hear it, okay? But let's, let's listen to this first one here. Let's, let's do a warm-up. in the 70s and 80s to know this one. Bon Jovi. You know it, sing it out, let me hear it. Yeah, a few of you guys got that. <laughs> or the, no, 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 we're done, we're done. We're done. That's all I wanted. Now maybe you're closer to my age, and you're going to know this one really, really well. You know the show. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute just sit right there. I'll tell you how it became. Yeah, Will Smith, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You know, I used to watch that every single day when it was on the reruns, and I'd watch the new ones when they showed. Okay, now maybe you're a lot younger than me. You're gonna know this next one, or maybe you're a parent around my age, and you're gonna know this next one. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Titus has learned this song in the last two weeks. So Titus just walks around, let it go, let it go, let it go. It's the only words he knows, but he knows those words. So sometimes it's not even about the lyrics. 
Sometimes you just hear a beat and you know exactly what to do with it. If you recognize this one and know what to do, stand up and join me. If you don't know it, the name of the song is called Jump Around. And when they play it, everybody just jumps up and down. Now, I only did 10 seconds of that clip because I'm not in shape, so I can't go much beyond that. Actually, one of the coolest traditions, if you like college football, is at the University of Wisconsin. And at the start of the fourth quarter, every game, they crank that as loud as they can across the, uh, the, the stadium, and the whole stadium, 80,000 people are jumping up and down. We did it once at an OU game. We stole their tradition. I was like, this is insane and cool, and you know, I want to see this continue to go, and it's pretty cool. One more, one more. It's a song that you might not catch right at the very beginning, but you should catch it as it goes on a little bit here. Hands, touching hands, reaching out. If you know it, let me hear it. Ready? Touching you. That's the whole sermon. I just wanted to play Neil Diamond and walk off the stage. So, God bless y'all. <laughs> so here's the thing, and maybe you catch where we're going with this today. We've talked the last few weeks about what we do with our Bible. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how it needs to become a priority for us to get into the Bible on a daily basis. Last week, we talked about uh, how the Bible invites us into study. Today, we're taking that a step further and showing what that produces, and that that should lead us to learning to memorize it. And one of the things I hear from people sometimes is, man, it's just so hard for me to memorize Scripture, verses, or chunks of Scripture, or whatever. And you guys just showed, we really don't have any problem memorizing things. In fact, I'll just kind of put it out this way. We memorize what we meditate on. Now, again, you can tell I've probably watched too much Parks and Recreation, because I can throw those quotes out in context like they're nothing, okay? Uh, I, I can throw out movie quotes or baseball stats or whatever. Well, it's obvious. I've spent time memorizing those, learning those. But when it comes to Scripture, see, what, what we need to remember is that meditation, we talked about this last week, it's kind of like a lion who's killed a pre, uh, an animal and that prey, it just sits there over that prey and slowly consumes, it slowly devours every ounce and morsel of, of that animal, and it kind of has this low growling, you know, like we said, you, you eat, a, eat a good steak or eat something that's really uh, appeals to you, and you just kind of, mm, as you eat it. That's kind of what meditation in the Bible is like. It's the Hebrew word Hagah. And so meditation, when we talk about this with Scripture, it's a very active, very thorough, and very intentional way of getting into Scripture so that it can impact your soul. And so let me just kind of say, if you're struggling to memorize the Bible... If you're struggling to actually take this and remember what you read and where you found it, I'm just going to throw a challenge at you a little bit. You don't have a memorization problem, you have a meditation problem. I understand here too, with memorization and meditation, 
when I say you have a problem with it too, I mean, there's times I have to stop and think, okay, no, wait, where did I read this? <laughs> I've got two Bible college degrees on my wall, and I still have to stop and think about this sometimes. And, and to some degree, memorizing things, we have kind of gotten to the point where we don't have to anymore. We don't have to memorize things like we used to because of this right here. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm really glad we live in an age where we have technology and unlimited knowledge that fits in our pocket. You know, I mean, there's many times where I'll be sitting in my office thinking, okay, I need, I need something here. What's well, a, you know, three-second Google search away from giving me an answer on any topic, right? And, and it, you know, boils down whether it's phone numbers. I can still remember the phone numbers that my grandparents had. My grandma still has hers, 918-542-4380. Please, none of you all harass her this afternoon, okay? <laughs> My other grandparents, 918-675-5003. That one's disconnected. You can call it all you want, okay? But I remember those. I don't think of, of like the 500 phone numbers I have in here, I don't think that I could tell you five of the cell phone numbers off the top of my head. I can tell you my mom's, my dad's, and my wife's. My mom and my dad have each had theirs for like 15 years. I kind of learned them. I know my wife's. I kind of know my own. That's about it. I don't have to memorize them because they're here. They're, they're, they're in my phone. Uh, we, we, we just learn that, and it, it helps us to understand that. But when it comes to the Bible, sometimes we need to be able to be quicker than going to a phone or a computer. We need to actually put those words inside us a little bit more. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 119, a very cool, very unique, very interesting part of Scripture. Um, and while you're turning there, just to kind of lay this out for you, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, at least in terms of verses, 176 verses long. In my Bible, it's like three pages long. It's the middle of the Bible, I mean, almost exactly to the page middle of your Bible. It's the middle of your Bible in terms of number of chapters. And what's neat about it is it's built in a way that, that was written to facilitate memorization. Now, not to say go home and memorize all 176 verses of Psalm 119, but it's written in 22 stanzas, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And your, your Bible, if you've got a, a hard copy of the Bible, it's got Aleph, Bet, Gamel, uh, Daleth, all the way across the tops of these. That's the Hebrew letters. That's the Hebrew alphabet. We're going to be in that second stanza as we kind of look at this, and we see just a couple of reasons why memorizing the Bible, meditating on it, and letting it penetrate and permeate our hearts is beneficial for us. First reason is this, if we meditate scripture, it shows us how to live a pure life. Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Now, the, the easy, quick thought on reading this verse is, that person sounds fun. You know, now maybe you grew up like me, and, and I grew up in the church, and I was told, hey, you know, you can't do this because, you know, you go to church and the Bible tells you not to do this. And I can tell you when you're like 15, that makes you super popular with your friends to know, oh, sorry, I can't do that because, you know, you're a sinner and I'm not. So, you know, sorry. You, know, you learn as you get older. Well, okay, we kind of all are. And, and Jesus died for all of us, right? But you read this and this isn't like an invitation to just live this, you know, goody two-shoes or fuddy-duddy kind of life. No, it's a challenge to follow God's word. See, one of our core beliefs at this church here is that, kind of we said a couple weeks ago, we believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God, meaning that every word from this came from God, that it is without error, it is without contradiction, and it will never fail you. 
And to that end, in, in our core beliefs as a church, one, one of our beliefs we will never waver on, we state that the Bible is the final authority on all matters of faith. In other words, everything else in our core beliefs is because we're pointing it back to what the Bible says. We're pointing it back saying, well, right here's where we believe this, and here's why. We've got scripture references on all of our core beliefs, going back to the Bible. If the Bible says it, we believe it. If the Bible doesn't, then it's more open to interpretation. But the Bible allows us to walk a path of purity, to walk a path becoming more and more like Jesus. This should be our prayer and our challenge for all of us, is that we're constantly trying to follow what he has laid out for us to do. And I kind of look at it this way. For me, the best way in my life to try and avoid a life of sin isn't just to say, oh, that's sin, I want to avoid that. It's, no, oh, Jesus is over here and I want to be like him. And if I walk this way towards Jesus, I naturally walk away from sin. See, it's kind of like this. I, I uh, sometimes deal with shoulder and upper back and neck issues. And I've kind of found that when those issues are at their worst, I'm at my laziest. Those tend to flare up and give me the most problems when I'm just sitting in my office working, hunched over all the time, and I'm going home and I'm sitting in a chair, hunched over all the time. When I'm up and active, when I'm going to the gym all the time, those lighten up. I'm not actively trying to get rid of those problems. I'm trying to enhance my, you know, I said earlier I could jump for 10 or 15 seconds. I'd like to stretch that out to 20, you know, maybe. You know, the more I do things to increase and improve just how my body functions and works, naturally the bad stuff kind of filters away. With your spiritual life, the more you get into God's word and you read God's word and you know it and you learn it and you start to put it to use in your life, just naturally the more you're going to become more like Jesus and the less you're going to become like the sinful life. Second reason that we meditate on scripture is it prepares us for battle. It prepares us. And we could say, too, it protects us, but we, it prepares us. Psalm 119, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's a verse that many of you may know by heart. It's what I learned as a kid. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, when we think about this, and, and what's that mean? I'm a baseball fan. You guys know this. Yesterday was the very first uh, preseason game for spring training. They, they reported a week or two ago, uh, Teams are getting ready. They're, they're going right now. They're, they're knocking the rust off. Guys are getting their timing back with a bat. The, the pitchers are getting their, their grips back and their releases back and, you know, getting their timing back in the field. And, and, and we see this. They're going to do spring training for about the next month, and then the season starts. Then they're ready to play. Okay? You think about this, and, and often what we tend to do is we tend to take the Bible, and we pull it out, and we use it when we need it. We don't practice with it beforehand. If if you're going to go hunting, you want to go sight in your weapon, sight in your gun, you know, practice shooting at a target before you're out there in the situation where there's pressure. That's why military goes through basic training and then advanced trainings. Why? So they can be prepared. We're not just going to go drop somebody off in a war zone and hand them a gun and say, good luck. We want them to know how to do with it, how to defend and protect themselves and their interests. See, the Bible is referred to as a sword. And I don't know about you, I don't know how to use a sword. I've watched a lot of Star Wars, I could whip a lightsaber around, but you know, 
Actually, as a joke, one time I got one and was trying to do some like cool thing, and I hit myself across the shoulder. I was like, well, I'm done, you know. <laughs> Can't use a lightsaber anymore. I just cut my arm off, you know. Well, there I go, you know. If we don't pull the Bible out before we need it, we're not going to know how to use it when we do. We're not going to know how to properly handle the situation. See, Scripture is meant to be studied and meditated on and, and memorized so that it can actually ingrain itself into the very foundations of our character. That's why we put that Core 52 book out here, why we're offering it as a gift to anybody who gets baptized this year. And if you've gone through that, if you've started that, many of you have bought a copy of that, you've kind of seen how it works. He, uh, he uh, starts with a topic, he gives you some Scripture, he gives you a little challenge to it, and at the end of the week, he gives you a, a passage to memorize. Not a very long passage, but it's just something to get started. And the more of that you put into you, the more you're going to know it and learn it. See, it's like this. The Bible isn't a tool to be pulled out and used when things go bad. It's the avenue through which uh, we, we hear the word of God. The Bible gives us the, the word. The Bible shows us who Jesus was. The Bible shows us who Jesus is. And the goal isn't to use it when we get in trouble. The goal isn't to use it just when the fight comes to us. The goal is to read it and sort it into our minds and souls and hearts so that it will lead us into a deeper relationship with God. That's one of our core values around here. In fact, it's our first core value, is that we want to relentlessly pursue a deeper, transforming relationship with God. Why? Because I'm not enough on my own, and you're not enough on your own. And I can't just come up with this idea of who I want God or Jesus to be and chase after that. No, I want the real God, the real Jesus, the one that challenges me, that wants to make me become a different and better person, a stronger follower of him. And you all who have been in a long, healthy relationship with another person, you know what that takes. It takes spending time together, not just in the same room. It takes conversation. It takes observation. It takes commitment. It takes intentionality. And when you hide scripture in your heart, what that does is it protects you from the enemy. Yes, it prepares you, but it protects you as well, too. Because what it does, I kind of mentioned a moment ago, if I'm becoming more and more like Jesus and then naturally becoming less and less like the world around me, what I'm actually doing is pursuing righteousness. Now, righteousness is a gift that God gives us, that Christ went to the cross for, for us. He justified us and redeemed us and atoned for us so that we could become righteous with God, meaning we're in right standing. In other words, like if you owe me a debt and you satisfy that debt, we're good. We're square. Okay, we're all, we're all on the same plane. That's what Christ did for us to come to God. But the Bible says we can continue to pursue righteousness and to grow in our righteousness. 1 John chapter 2, it says this, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. In other words, if we're doing what is right, if we're chasing after him, we're growing in righteousness. We're becoming more like him. I love the promise that Jesus gives us when we read the Beatitudes. And we read things like, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. Right in the middle of that, Matthew 5, verse 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, we kind of go back to this topic of, of this series, meat and potatoes, and the whole point of we want the Bible to be our protein for, our, for life, and here Jesus is using a hunger and thirst metaphor. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, when you're given the opportunity to eat or drink, you're going to pursue that. You should pursue that, because if you're hungry and somebody offers you food, it's kind of silly to turn it down, right? 
No, hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. You see, there's more to it as well. When you, you study God's word, when you let it fill your heart and your mind and your soul, it's not only going to build up that righteousness to protect you, but it's going to help keep you from being deceived as well too. There's a very famous spot in the Bible where we see an opportunity for deception. And it's in the, the temptation of Jesus. And if you, if you know the story, Satan comes to Jesus and he's tempting him and Jesus is at a very weak point. He's been fasting for 40 days and nights. And, and after these 40 days and nights, Satan comes to him and he tempts him three ways, but in one of them, he actually quotes scripture uh, to Jesus. I, I love that, you know, quoting scripture to Jesus to try and trip up Jesus. And here's what he says in Matthew 4, verse 6. Uh, it says, if you're the son of God, uh, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, uh, lift you up in their hands, that you might not strike your foot against a stone. Now he's taken to the top of the, the temple, and he's basically saying, hey, throw yourself off of here, God's going to catch you. And what he's doing here, Satan, in Matthew 4, is quoting Psalm 91, sort of. Now, you can read this, and at the bottom of your, your Bible, typically we have a little reference note, and it shows us, oh, he's quoting Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Until you go look at Psalm 91 and read what Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 say, it says this, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, that they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, Satan didn't say anything that Psalm 91 didn't say, but he didn't say everything Psalm 91 says. See, he adds that little, or he forgets that little line, to guard you in all your ways. What's the difference here? Satan's telling Jesus, hey, throw yourself off here, God will catch you. But what the psalmist is saying is, no, if you trip and fall, God will catch you. Not if you do something stupid. Not if you do this to yourself. Like, God's going to protect you, not just, you know, wipe away something silly that you did because you were trying to prove a point. Now, I'm not going to get into those two texts there, but I just wanted to show you this. Obviously, Jesus is the Son of God. He's going to know what the Scripture says, right? But would you? If Satan threw a verse at you going, oh, it's okay, look, here's what the Bible says. You can go, no, that's not what the Bible says. Because, folks, this is happening in our world all around today. This is happening. We're using the Bible to justify uh, new new things in churches and, and with Christianity. Some churches are. And, and what folks are doing is, is taking a verse and making it mean something that it's never meant. That's where we said you know, last week, context is important. Understanding that the Bible can never mean what it has never meant. We need to be on guard because the enemy is out there and the enemy doesn't come. I'm convinced the enemy is not going to come full head to head to try and trip you. To trip you, he's going to sneak around and be about 98% accurate and use that 2% to chip away and chip away. So if the enemy comes to you with Scripture, can you know Scripture enough to say, no, that's not right. You missed the point. Meditating on Scripture gives us that intimate knowledge, and it will keep us from being deceived. The third thing that meditating on Scripture does is it helps us to follow God's path for us. Back in Psalm 119, verse 12, Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that came from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts 
and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So here's the thing. God has created a path for every one of you. Now let's be clear. The path he's created for you is different than he created for me. They all lead to the same place, to him. But our paths are going to go in different directions, take different turns, and that's okay. See, the thing about understanding with God's path is it's a good path. It's a good path because God knows you intimately. God created you. And so therefore, he's got a plan for you that's better than what you can come up with on your own. And God will never put something in your path to try and trick you or trip you. Those are tricks of the enemy. But here's the thing. He wants you to reach your destination. And understand, I don't think God gives any of us a path that is the quickest and easiest way to get there. He gives us the one that's the best and the most right for us. Too often, I think we get ourselves off of our paths because we decide we want to take control. We make some unwise decisions. We've all been there. We've all done this. And sometimes, whether we want to or not, we, we get into regrettable situations. Knowing his word helps keep us back on that path to begin with. It helps protect us. It guardrails us so that we don't drift off, so that we don't get going in the wrong direction. And here's kind of where meditation plays into this. I said last week, meditation is not maybe what you think, you know, where you kind of sit and cross your legs and light a candle and try to clear your mind. That's kind of what Eastern meditation would teach us. We want to empty our minds and clear all of this out so that we can make sense of our world around us. That's not what biblical meditation is. It's not an emptying of your mind. It's a filling of your soul. It's, it's putting into your life the Word of God. Yes, we want to get clarity on the Word, but we meditate. We're not talking, again, about some sort of different belief here. It's that intentional, active growling over Scripture. Psalm 119 can contain some of the most uplifting verses when it comes to what meditating on Scripture is, is all about and what it looks like. We talk about not emptying, but filling. Here's what we mean by that. Psalm 119, verse 105, a very, very famous verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. What's that mean? It means it's not floodlights showing you the whole road. If you've got a flashlight or a lamp, you're, you know it's only showing you a couple of steps in front of you. The word illuminates your path as you go. That's what happens when you meditate on it. Or, or maybe in verse uh, 114, when it says, you are my refuge and my shield, I put my hope in your word. The word protects us. When we meditate on it, it, it almost builds a, a cocoon around us at times to kind of weather the storm that we know we're going to face. Or maybe verse 133, where it says, direct my footsteps according to your word, let no sin rule over me. Again, how can we avoid being deceived? By knowing the word of God. By putting it into our hearts. By letting it, letting it penetrate our every thought, our every breath. By letting it penetrate all the way to our soul. So meditation on the word, it, it shows us how to be changed by God. Not so much to change ourselves. I think too often we try to change and fix ourselves. It's, you know, it's very American of us. Let's pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and dust ourselves off and take another step. Sometimes we need to forget about that and remember that God wants to change us. God wants to mold us. God wants to craft us and create us and, and make us new in him. 
We don't do that unless we get into his word and we let it penetrate and permeate every ounce of our being. Here's kind of my challenge for you today. As you've been, hopefully, beginning study of the Bible, whether you've grabbed a a Core 52 or not, whether you're just doing this on your own, pick a passage out this week. One passage, okay? One group of verses, and between now and next week, memorize that. Read it over and over. If I'm trying to memorize Scripture, what I do is I'll read it three or four times in a row. And then the next day, I'll do it again. And I try to get to the point, I like to get on my my, piece of paper or like my whiteboard and just write it out from memory. You know, some, maybe for you, it's, it's verbalizing it. Maybe it's saying the words out loud. Maybe it's speaking them to somebody else. However it works for you to memorize things. And you know, I used to do some theater stuff. We all have different tactics to try and memorize things. Find what works for you. Find what works for you, and next week, have some passage that you've memorized. A passage, maybe it's just a verse. Maybe it's a couple of verses. Maybe for you, it's John 3.16. One that a lot of us do know, maybe you don't know that one yet. Work on that one. Work on Psalm 23. Work on Romans chapter 3. Right in the middle, just verses 24 and 25. Okay, just pick a couple verses that are impactful, that are going to speak to your heart and show you who God is, who Jesus is, what he wants for you. Because folks, I, I can promise you this, the more you memorize the Bible, the more it's going to transform your life the more it's going to craft your life. Get a good, solid foundation. Let God build on that. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, we're so thankful that you give us, God, the challenge of of learning it and knowing it and memorizing it. God, I pray today that that as we enter into this, this mindset, Lord, that we would not be scared of memorization. God, we wouldn't look at it as some daunting task on our to-do list or something that we just have to do. But God, we would want to. We would have a desire to. God, the same way that we can learn and just naturally memorize all sorts of other trivial information, God, this, we would see the, the value, the priority of this. God, I want my life to be built on the foundation of your word. My life to be built on the rock that you have laid out there for me. So God, never let those desires leave my mind and my heart. God, and I pray for this room that, that they would stay with them as well too. We're so thankful for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.